Okay, so we're going to have a look this evening at chapter 15, Revelation chapter 15. Um, but let's begin with a bit of a quick recap, see how fast Beck and I will do it together. Uh, we can go. So chapter one. Christ. Chapters two and three, letters to the seven ecclesias. Seven ecclesias. Chapter four. Throne. Throne. Chapter five. The lion and the lamb. Lion and the Lamb. Uh, chapter 6. Four horses of the apocalypse. Four horses. Give me some horses. Red. Red. <laughs> black. Black. <laughs> white, red, black and pale. Okay, so white, red, black and pale. Good job, Beck. So the horses are the, the different stages, aren't they, of the Roman Empire. And at the end of chapter 6, we see that the empire changes and it changes from a pagan empire to a Christian empire. So who brings about that change? Which key character? Constantine. Constantine. So chapter six is about the fall of which stage of Rome? The, the, the pagan Rome. Yeah. So you, you, the chapter heading for chapter six is, is the collapse of pagan Rome. Okay. Chapter seven um, is a vision and in the vision, we see the 144,000 and we see an innumerable number. And then chapter eight, we return to history. And we know, don't we, that the western leg of the Roman Empire gets broken up by which types of people? Barbarians. The barbarians. And we see the trumpets being blown, don't we, as the uh, barbaric hordes or the barbarian hordes come into the empire. Then chapter nine Chapter eight deals with, so our, our heading for chapter eight is the collapse of which leg of the empire? Western Rome. Western Rome. So chapter nine is the collapse of Eastern, Eastern Rome. Rome. So think Nebuchadnezzar's image all the time. Here are the two legs, Western and Eastern Rome. Okay, so Eastern Rome, uh, how does it collapse? Um, Islam. Islam, the rise of Islam, and then the Ottomans come in. And in what year does... Constantinople fall to the Ottoman Turks. 1453. Excellent, 1453. So the, the end of chapter 8, we've got the year 476, when Odoesa takes Rome itself, the city. And then in 1453, at the end of chapter 9, Constantinople falls. So chapter 10, we've got another vision, and it's the march of the Rainbow Angel. Angel. Chapter 11, 12, and 13 are really difficult chapters, aren't they? Chapter 11... We see the, the two witnesses, so that's uh, Christianity, albeit not necessarily, um, you know, Christadelphians, but, but Christianity who are standing against, they're witnessing to the God of the Bible, they're Bible believers, and they're standing against the, the Church of Rome. Um, but they're trodden down for 1,260-year periods. And we look at those time periods, don't we, from... One of them from the time of Constantine. So when Constantine won the Battle of Milvian Bridge, when he went into Rome, and that battle was won. Can you remember, Becca, what the date was? Uh, 312. Excellent, Beck. 312. 312. Constantine wins the Battle of Milvian Bridge. We add our 1260 years to 312, and we come to the massacre of St. Bartholomew. Can you remember the year? Uh, 1572, 1572, um, where we, we're going to, th 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 those events then are key to leading us to the time of the French Revolution. 
which we looked at in chapter 11. Then the other one, 260 years, was when the dragon gave power to the beast. And so the dragon power being the power in Constantinople, the political power, gives power, religious power to Rome. And that happened with the decrees of which two emperors? The decree of Justinian. Justinian, can you remember the year? 533. Or the decree of... Focus. Focus. You remember the year? Nope. 607. And we had our 1260 years there. It doesn't matter. You can add it. If you add it from Justinian, then it brings you to the year um, 1593, uh, which is a key date because the French king was executed during the time of the French Revolution. If you add it from the time of Focus, 607, well, it brings you to the year 1867 when we see. Uh, all the issues around the papal states. So this Revelation 11 talks to us about these time periods and we see that the section finishes with which major earthquake? The French Revolution. And we cannot underestimate the significance of the French Revolution in uh, how it's changed the course of history for the world. And of course, it's the angels that have overseen that. Okay, then the second half of chapter 11, we see this lovely vision of the kingdom age, which is right at the center of the book. Chapter 12 then gives us more detail on one of those 1260 periods. And it's related to which key figure? Constantine. Constantine. So remember, you know, this is, there's a themes, aren't there? So at the end of chapter six, we saw Constantine. He's then shown us again in chapter 11, and then chapter 12 deals with him. He's the tail of the dragon, he's the man-child, and he's also um, Michael, or he's work, Michael's working with him to bring about God's purpose. Um, then chapter 13, we move from the dragon of Constantinople over to the beast in the west, so chapter 13 talks to us about what? The beast of the sea, the beast of the earth, and the Im image of the beast. So the beast of the sea is the religious Roman system that comes out of the Mediterranean. The beast of the earth is the time from Charlemagne, and it's the holy... Roman Remember the beast of the earth is a lamb with two horns, it's both religious and political the Holy Roman Empire. And then the image of the beast is the territory of the papal states where the Pope has got power and control. Okay, so chapter 14 that we looked at last week is in absolute contrast to chapter 13. Chapter 13 is about those who uh, bow down to the beast system, who worship him, those who have his mark on them, those who are caught up with the number of the beast. And then in chapter 14, we see it contrasted to the true believers, those who've got the faith and patience of the saints and who follow the Lamb. And then in the second half of chapter 14, we see two major events. They are... Great harvest and the grain harvest. Okay, so in the other, other way around, the grain harvest, which is the battle of Armageddon. Armageddon, a heap of sheaves in the valley of threshing, and the grape harvest, which is about the collapse of Rome. Okay, so great job. So now we come to chapter 15. I think Bet deserves a clap there. 
that's pretty awesome, uh, whipping through that without Lil's major support. So chapter 15, let's, uh, Beck and I will read it together. And then um, it's just a short chapter, isn't it? And then we'll look to study it together. So Revelation 15. And I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over the, his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. Stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. And they sing the song of Moses and the servant of God and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvellous are thy works, O Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee, for thy judgments are made manifest. And after that I looked, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. And the seven angels came out of the temple, having the seven plagues, clothed in pure and white linen, and having their breasts girded with golden girdles. And one of the four beasts gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God, who liveth for ever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power, and no man was able to enter into the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were fulfilled. Okay. So let's start to unpick this together then. So it starts as I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvellous. So another sign, look in your margin. Those of you who've got marginal notes um, in terms of references, I saw another sign in heaven. What have you got uh, in your margin? Chapter 12, verse 1. Chapter 12, verse 1 and verse 3. So there we are. Circle that. So Beck's got in her margin, which is the reference we want, chapter 12, verses 1 and 3. So chapter 12, verses 1 and 3, we saw, didn't we, signs in heaven, so the political heavens. And in chapter 12, it was about Constantine. So this is now another sign. So this is no longer about... Uh, Constantine and uh, the signs given to us in chapter 12, this is another sign in heaven, which we should see in contrast to that one, okay? Great and marvellous, seven angels having the seven last plagues. So, we understand, don't we, that the seven is about completeness and is that symbolic number of completeness. So these seven angels, obviously a key number all the way through the book of Revelation, have the seven last plagues. Now we'll pick up on this word plagues in a bit, perhaps when we get a bit further down to verse six. But we ask the question, well, what are these last plagues? And if you just jump down to verse six, we're going to see the seven angels came out of the temple having the seven plagues. So these seven angels with these seven plagues are going to do what? Verse seven, one of the four living creatures gave unto the seven angels seven golden vials full of the wrath of God. And so 
what happens is the seven plagues at the end of verse eight of the seven angels have to be fulfilled before something in verse eight can take place. We'll come to it obviously shortly, but now go to chapter 16, verse one. I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways, pour out of the vials. The word vials is the word bowls. It's a better translation, really. So just think of them as bowls being poured out. So the seven angels go your way and pour out from the bowls the wrath of God upon the earth. So back in chapter 15, verse 1, the seven plagues from these seven angels, which have got the wrath of God, obviously it's all a symbol, isn't it? They're the last plagues. So this is the last major plagues if you like we'll think about what these plagues uh, are shortly of the wrath of god being brought upon the earth and so just chapter 16 and verse 1 they pour the wrath of god upon the earth what's the earth through the book of revelation rome, rome. so we're going to see that this is the last plague to come across the uh, system of rome now think about it the 1260 periods went from constantine to the battle of uh, to the massacre of bartholomew in 1572 they went from the decrees of justinian and focus to the time of the french revolution or the, the papal states being annexed after the french revolution chapter 16 we're going to be told not about the beast of the sea which was from the decrees of Justinian and Focus, not about the dragon power, which we saw at the time of Constantine. So we've got the dragon in chapter 12 being dealt with. We've got the beast of the sea in chapter 13 being dealt with. What haven't we had dealt with in chapter 13? The beast of the earth. And the beast of the earth is a lamb with two horns. What is it? It's the Holy Roman Empire, Empire right? So chapter 16, which we'll look at in about a month or so, is about the destru destruction of the Holy Roman Empire. So let's think about it. This makes sense, doesn't it? Revelation chapter 6, the horses of the apocalypse, that was the destruction of what, what type of Rome? It became Christianized, so it was the destruction of pagan Rome. Chapter 8 was the fall of which leg of the empire? The barbarians came in and broke down the western side of the empire. Chapter 6 was pagan Rome. Chapter 8 was western Rome. Chapter 9 was other leg of the empire. Not western Rome, eastern Rome. And chapter 16, we're going to see the destruction of the Holy Roman Empire. Okay? So do you see, it all ties together. It's about the system of Rome. And the system of Rome begins with the head of Babylon, the chest and arm of silver, the Medes and Persians, the belly of thighs, the Greeks, the belly of brass, rather, the Greeks, and the legs of iron, the Romans. So the book of Revelation, we've said, haven't we, from the outset, is about the system of Rome against the system of the Lord Jesus Christ, of Zion, of the heavenly thinking of God. So that's what 
this chapter is setting us up for. Chapter 15, verse 1, the seven angels having the seven last plagues. These are the last judgments, as it were, the last plagues that are brought upon the system of Rome. And we know that it's the last because, look, just click to chapter 16 again. Once the sixth angel has poured out his vial, what happens in verse 16 of chapter 16? Which event do we come to? Armageddon. Armageddon, right? So it's got to be the last, hasn't it? Okay, so verse 1, I think we're there about, aren't we? So now let's go to verse 2. Verse 2, 3, and 4 are now a beautiful vision. So having been told, and this is how the apocalypse keeps working, isn't it? We've been told what's going to happen. That the seven angels with the seven last plagues will pour these plagues out, the wrath of God, upon the system of Rome in trying to change men's minds. But having been told that, we're now given a vision of the kingdom that the saints of the age can look at and can know they can hold on to the truth. And any that have got the courage to come out of Babylon, to come out of the Roman system, can do so knowing they've got this vision set before them. So what do we read? Well, verse 2. I saw, as it were, a sea of glass mingled with fire. And then I've gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. So a sea of glass. What, what's this different to, this sea of glass? Thanks, Lutbeck. So the contrast, the sea of glass is this calm sea. This is absolutely still. Think of a sheet of glass. It's absolutely still. Now, what's the sea normally a representation of? Nations. The nations. Give me a reference for the nations being like the troubled sea. Isaiah 57, verse 20. Now, you, that's a reference that all of us should now pretty much know off by heart. Isaiah 57, verse 20. The wicked are like the troubled sea, when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. So my suggestion is that next to verse 2, the sea of glass, you make a note and say in your margin, contrast Isaiah 57 verse 20. Because this now is a picture where the nations are still. And this sea of glass is mingled with fire. So fire is a picture of what? Do we? Judgment, right? So let me give you some references for that. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Let me turn there for you. 2 Thessalonians 1. We've been here on lots of occasions, but let's just read this again. 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 7. To you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall, shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So 2 Thessalonians 1, 8. 2 Thess 1, 8. Next to your fire. The, the, the word mingled simply in the Greek means, and it's not surprising, mixed with. So the fact that this these nations are so calm is because they've been mixed with the fire 
of God's judgments that's come upon them. Another good reference I'd suggest is Daniel 7. Let me just go there. Where I've got in my margin from verse 9 to 14, which is a little section, but you see that the one like the Son of Man in Daniel chapter 7 cast down the little horn, which we know to be the system of Babylon. And we read in verse 9, I beheld till the thrones were cast down, and the Ancient of Days did sit, whose garment was white as snow, the hair of his head was like pure wool, his throne was like the fiery flame, and his wheels were of burning fire. A fiery stream issued and came forth from before him, and so on. So, I, I won't keep reading it, but you, you get the picture immediately, I hope. Daniel chapter 7, verse 9 to 14, the picture is being shown to us of fire the fire of the judgment of the, the Lord Jesus Christ and the saints who are together and bringing God's judgment against the nations. So this vision that we're going to be shown is a vision when the nations have been subdued. So I saw, as it were, verse 2, a sea of glass mingled with fire, and them that had gotten the victory over the beast... So those who've been victorious over the beast. You remember, don't you, from 1 John chapter 5, where the victory comes from. 1 John 5 verse 4. What's the th what brings the victory? Obviously, it's, it's the work of God through the Lord Jesus Christ in the work of the Lamb. But from our point of view, we are those them that have gotten the victory over what is it that gives the, us the victory verse 4 of 1 john 5 belief. our faith belief yeah this is the victory that overcomes the world our faith so you've got to believe it you've got to believe that the sacrifice of that lamb is enough to deal with the problem of your and with my sin do you believe that do you believe in those things? You've got to. When you take the emblems, or for young people who aren't baptised, when you are baptised and you take those emblems each week, you should be thinking all the time of thanking that the work of the Lamb, thanking the Father for giving the Lord Jesus Christ to deal with the problem of our sin. But if we're not thinking about that, and we don't have faith in that, then we won't be with those who've gotten the victory. It isn't simply people who are really nice. There are plenty of people in the world far nicer than we are, certainly far, far nicer than I am, as most of you, I'm sure, know. But that's not the point. It's not about us being the nicest person in the world. I mean, if we can be lovely and show the character of the Lord Jesus, we should try our best to do so. But in the end... It's actually that our, our faith isn't in anything that we can manage to do. It's in what the Lamb has done to remove our sins. So you've got to believe it. Okay. So those who've got the victory, who have they got the victory over? They've got the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and the number of his name. So we see that they've got the victory over the whole system of Rome. 
the beast, the image, his mark, the number of his name. So those things that we saw in chapter 13, where we saw the beast, the image, the mark, the number of his name. Who are we with? Just, just go back to chapter 13, just to see. So verse 11, you've got the beast. Verse 14, you've got the image of the beast, 14 and 15. Verse 16, you've got the mark. And verse 18, you've got the number of his name. So who are you with? Are you with the beast? Or, now look at chapter 14. Are you with the lamb? Now see the number of his name. The 144,000, verse 1. What's the mark they've got? The father's name, verse 1, written on their foreheads. They have nothing to do with those who worship the image, verse 9, of the beast. They've got nothing to do, verse 11, with worshipping the beast and his image or the mark of his name. This, verse 12, Revelation 14, is the patience of the saints, that they keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So whose side are we on? Are we with the system of Rome or are we standing aside? And what does chapter 14 challenge us to do? Verse 4. Follow the Lamb. So that's what we've got to try to do. We've got to try to follow the example of the Lord Jesus. Now, there's some good links for us here back to Exodus chapter 20. So keep a marker in Revelation 15. But come back to Exodus chapter 20, which is, you remember the chapter where we're given the Ten Commandments. So let's just have a look at what we're told in these commandments. Exodus 20 verse 3. I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt. In, in Revelation, which land are we challenged to come out of? Or one more? Babylon, right? Revelation 18, come out of her, my people. We've got to get out of Babylon. But, but the point is, Babylon, in Revelation 11, is described as being which two other places? Sodom and Egypt, Egypt right? So Egypt, Sodom, Babylon, is all the thinking of the flesh. We shouldn't find ourselves thinking that it's just the Roman Catholic system. That's the, the, that is the, the main uh, system that uh, stands against God. But actually, ultimately, it's sin. And we've got to come out of that system. We've got to stand aside from Egypt, from Sodom, so Exodus 20 begins with, I am the Lord thy God, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. I've dealt with that for you. So what does he say, verse 3? You shall have no other gods before me, only me. What, so what does he say, verse 4? Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So what have we got in, I've got a mark, a hand still in Revelation 15. 
those who got the victory over the beast and over his image. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything. Now look at this. That's in heaven above, earth beneath, or in the water under the earth. So you can't have anything to do with the beast system. Now, the, what does it say? Heaven above, earth beneath, the water under the earth. So see if you can tell me the beast systems. Chapter 13, you have the beast of the sea. So what does it say? The water under the earth. You also have the beast of the earth. What does it say? The earth beneath. In chapter 12, the dragon, where is he? Where is the dragon? There appeared another wonder in heaven so now look at now compare that do you see chapter exodus 20 verse 4 thou shalt not make a graven image the image of the beast or any likeness of anything that's in heaven above chapter 12 we saw the dragon from heaven the earth beneath chapter 13 we saw the beast of the earth and chapter 13 we also saw the beast of the sea or that's in the water under the earth that thou not shalt, verse 5 thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them so what are we told that we should not do we should not bow down we shouldn't worship the image of the beast or the beast system for i the lord thy god am a jealous god visiting the iniquity of your fathers upon the children the third and the fourth generation of them that hate me so when we read visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, those of you who know your Bibles really well will immediately think of Exodus chapter 34, where we're told about the name of God and the character of God. So Exodus 34 verse 7. So Exodus 20, we see some interesting links, don't we, to what we've just read in Revelation 15, where we have to stand aside from any that have anything to do with the image, the, the beast, the image, the mark, the number of the name, we've got to be those who follow the Lamb. We've got to obey that commandment. You shall not make any graven image or any light. So you can't have anything to do with that system. If you want to be with the redeemed, who are now, what are they doing? The end of verse 2, standing on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. Now, we're not going to look at the harps of God again. Look at your own notes next to chapter 14 and verse 2, where last week we looked at the harpers. So we see that the saints, the redeemed, are standing on the sea of glass. So the sea of glass is the nations. They've been squashed, haven't they? They've been quelled. They're quietened down. And we as the saints are standing on them. This is the picture that we're given in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So let me just turn there. 1 Corinthians 15, we see of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 25, for he must reign until he's put all enemies under his 
feet. And it goes on then to tell us about the millennium age and the end of the millennium age. But we can see that the enemies, the nations are under his feet, which is why we're standing on the sea of glass. Give me an example of when the Lord Jesus Christ stood on the sea. You probably don't need it. It's up too obvious, isn't it? Yeah. Think of when the Lord Jesus walked out to the disciples on the sea and he showed them what they would be. Do you remember that Peter at one point had the faith to, in Matthew 14, he got out of the boat, didn't he? And his faith allowed him to walk on the water. But sadly, as the wind blew, the waves came up around him. He began to drown and the Lord Jesus had to reach out and pull him out and said to him, you lack the faith to keep walking. In the kingdom age, if we believe these things today, we'll be made like the angels, we'll be made like the Lord Jesus Christ and we'll be able to walk on the water, we'll be able to walk on the nations as we uh, are God's instruments to bring about um, his plan of salvation in the millennium period. Okay, now they're singing a song, verse 3. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God. So where do we read about the song of Moses, the servant of God? Have a look in your margin. Probably got Exodus two references. 15, Exodus 15. That's what I want us to go to. Will you come to Exodus 15? So make a note of that in the margin. Circle it. Exodus 15, the song of Moses. And you'll remember that this song is sung by the children of Israel when they have come out of what? Egypt. Egypt. But they've just crossed the Red Sea. So they've come out of Egypt. Remember, we've just seen in Exodus 20 the call that we shouldn't have anything to do with making an, an image. Not from the earth, not from the waters, not from the heaven. We shouldn't make any image. No other gods before God because we've been called out of Egypt. So here we are now back with people who've been called out of Egypt. And they've been called out of Egypt and of course they go through the waters they go through the sea, which, you know, is, is a great metaphor for what happens in our lives. So in Exodus 15, then, we see verse 1. They then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song to the Lord and, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he's triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider has he thrown into the sea. So they're singing the song of Moses. The Song of Moses, the first line, the horse and his rider have they thrown into the sea. In the book of Revelation, where have we come across horses? I don't need the chapter. What's the horses about? Rome, yeah? The horses are about Rome, aren't they? So you remember the white horse, the red horse, the black horse, the chloros horse? The horses were about the stages of pagan Rome. So... The song of Moses being sung, I will sing to Yahweh, he's triumphed gloriously, the horse and his rider is thrown into the sea. That horse is the system of Egypt. It's the system of Rome. 
and it's been thrown into the sea. It's been utterly destroyed. Just keep a marker here, and you've probably got your hand in a couple of places, I have, but just notice in Revelation 19 that when the beast is taken, verse 20, and the false prophet, the Roman system, that wrought miracles before him, which he deceived them that received the mark of the beast and that worshipped his image, these were cast alive into a lake of fire, burning with brimstone. The horse and his rider has he thrown into the sea. The beast, the false prophet, the system of Rome. And so we see that this chapter, which is about the Lord delivering the people from Egypt, we see is a great prophecy in it as well of God's deliverance of his people. And we're told, aren't we, verse 16, terror and dread shall fall upon them. By the greatness of thine arm shall they be still as a stone till thy people pass over, O Yahweh, till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. Now remember that, which thou hast purchased. Thou shalt bring them in and plant them in the mountain of thine inheritance, in the place, O Yahweh, which thou hast made for thee to dwell in, in the sanctuary, O Lord, which thy hands have established. Yahweh shall reign forever and ever. And so they're going to be brought into a sanctuary which the Lord's hands have established. And this hasn't happened yet. The Lord shall reign forever and ever. We're not yet in the kingdom age. This is still to happen. But we notice at the end of verse 16 that they were being brought out till thy people pass over, O Yahweh, till the people pass over, which thou hast purchased. Now just come back to Revelation. But do you remember when we've read about the song of the Lamb before? So they're singing the song of Moses. So go back to chapter 15. The servant of God and the song of the Lamb. So where have we, which chapter tells us about the Song of the Lamb? Have a look in your margin. Have you got anything next to the Song of the Lamb? If you haven't, no worries. Chapter 5, verse 9. Chapter 5, verse 9. Okay, so let's go to chapter 5, verse 9. And what do we read about the Lamb here? So chapter 5 and verse 9. So in chapter 15, we're seeing, seeing the Song of Moses... And the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses we've seen is the song that they sung when the horse and the rider of Egypt were thrown into the sea. It was the song of their deliverance from Egypt and everything that Egypt stands for. But we saw that actually the final fulfillment of that song is still to take place. But it's the song for those people who the Lord will make pass over the people which the Lord has purchased. And then in chapter 15, we read that they don't just sing the song of Moses, they also sing the song of the Lamb. 
And we read about the Song of the Lamb when we read chapter 5. And Beck had in her margin chapter 5 and verse 9, so let's read it now. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us. In the revised version, that word redeemed is what word do you think? Purchased. So what does he say in Exodus 15? Till the people pass over which thou hast purchased. The song of the Lamb, the song of Moses rather, talks about the people which will be purchased. How are the people being purchased? How have they been brought? How have they been gotten? They've been purchased. They've been redeemed. Verse 9. By the Lamb. Which is why they sing the song. Verse 12. Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. Everyone, everything under heaven, in heaven, on the earth, under the earth sings the song, worthy the lamb who was slain forever and ever. And so when we come back to chapter 15 of Revelation, this is why it's so significant that these songs are being sung. The song of Moses, the great song of deliverance. The law could never save us. But it pointed forward to the work of the Lamb, the one who would purchase us, redeem us. And so they sing the song of Moses in the kingdom, the song of the servant of God, the one who pointed forward to the Lamb, the one who showed them in that song that they were delivered from the prison house of sin and death, from Egypt and all the associated problems of it. And they sing the song of the Lamb because the song of the Lamb talks of our redemption, of the fact that we've been purchased from every nation, kindred, tribe, every people. Saints have been called out of Babylon. They've been called out of Egypt to be able to be in the kingdom. And so verse 3 of Revelation 15, the song of Moses. What have you got as your reference now? Exodus 15, the Song of the Lamb. I hope you've got Revelation chapter 5 here. If you haven't, you need to get those notes in. Great and marvellous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee? Now, just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Just look in your margin next to the word saints. What have you got instead? Nations. Nations, yeah? Nations or, or, or ages. Nations is fine. It's actually a quote. Have you got a, a, a note in your margin where the quotation's coming from? It's actually from Jeremiah. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? Just have a look um, in Jeremiah chapter 10 and verse 7. So let's just turn back there together. 
You'll see the quotation now. And you'll, you've probably already got it in your margin. You just need to mark it up. Jeremiah 10 and verse 7. Who would not fear thee, O king of nations? So do you see that where it says, just and true thy ways, thou king of saints, that's why the margin actually has nations or ages. It's taken from Jeremiah 10 and verse 7. Who shall not fear thee, O king of nations? That's considered uh, perhaps the, the, the translation that we should go with. Because the nations are going to be brought. The nations are the sea of glass, aren't they? Who shall not fear thee, O king of... We're standing on them, O king of nations. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? Now, let's look at the context of Jeremiah chapter 10. So this quote that we're asked to go back to, the inspired word says, Jeremiah 10 verse 7, so we go, okay, well, what does that mean? What does it have to say? Hear the word which the Lord speaks to you, a house of Israel. Verse 2, Jeremiah 10. Thus says the Lord, learn not the way of the nations, or the heathen. So don't be like the nations. Be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. So we don't need to be dismayed by what we see in the political wranglings of the world. The angels are in control. The, the heathen are dismayed. They look at a global pandemic and feel utterly dismayed. We look at it, and although we may feel worried, actually we don't need to allow ourselves to worry because all these things are a sign of the times. So we're not like the nations. For the customs of the people, verse 3, are vain. What do they do? One cuts a tree out of the forest. The work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver, with gold. They fasten it with nails, with hammers. They move not. In other words, they, they'll get a tree and then they'll use an axe to sort of cut out, to carve out of that tree something that they deck with silver, gold. They fasten it with nails. They hammer it on the wall that it move not. It's like a palm tree, but it doesn't speak. You don't need to carry it because it can't go anywhere. Don't be afraid of them. They can't do evil. Neither is there any good in them. So in other words, they make idols, as it were, the nations do, out of a tree that they dug. Now you might say, well, come on, you know, this is the 21st century. It just doesn't happen. You know? Think of the system of Rome. Think of what's in so many houses across Europe today, nailed onto the wall perhaps made out of wood, a crucifix, perhaps covered in gold, perhaps covered in silver. So, Joe, you go to the European house, it's all over it. Hardly go to a house, you hardly go to a public building without these things nailed to the wall. But it's reason, isn't it, that we challenge ourselves with what we have nailed to our walls. What's there to distract us? Do we have massive TV screens blaring out everything that the world offers into the minds of ourselves, into our children? Nailed up on the wall. What the nations have. We've been called out of that system. Not saying, by the way, it's wrong to have a TV. I've got a computer in front of me now, haven't I? not saying that i'm just saying that we just need to be mindful 
of what we allow to creep into our own lives. See the contrast, verse 6. There is none like thee, O Yahweh. Thou art great, thy name is great in might. I will be who I will be. Who would not fear thee, O King of nations? When we see the righteous acts of the Lord, when we see how he brings about his purpose amongst the earth, who would not fear thee? And yet most of the nations don't fear the Lord today. They're up for as much as among all the wise men of the nations, verse 7, and all their kingdoms there is none like thee. They're altogether brutish and foolish. The stock is a doctrine of vanities. Silver spread under plates is brought from Tarshish, gold from Euphaz, the work of the workman, the hands of the founder. Blue and purple is their clothing. They're all the work of cunning men. But Yahweh is the true God. He's the living God, an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble. And so Revelation 15, we're seeing, aren't we, what being poured out. Verse 1, the end of verse 1. Revelation 15, the end of verse 1. What's being poured out? The wrath of God. So Jeremiah 10, verse 10. He is the living God, an everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth shall tremble, and the nations shall not be able to abide his indignation. Thus shall he say to them, the gods that have not made the heavens and the earth, even they shall perish from the earth and from these heavens. And so Jeremiah 10 is contrasting the thinking of the nations to God Almighty and saying, who should not fear thee? The Lord God of the heavens and the earth. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? And so in these last days, when we'll, in a, in a few weeks' time, if we're still here, if the Lord hasn't come and we're kept healthy, we'll look at chapter 16 together and we'll see that we live in that time period, in this last time period, when the last plagues are being poured out, the questions being asked of any who will listen, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? It's the final question being asked of us. As these plagues are being poured out, who shall not fear thee and glorify thy name? And so we've got to make sure that our lives are ordered and organised that we might fear the Lord and glorify his name. For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee and thy judgments are made manifest. And so all the nations will come to recognise the King, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, and worship before him. So that's the picture, that's the vision then. Verses 2 to 4, that is now finished. And it finishes with that question, Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? That question is being asked of us tonight. But we see that the vision then continues. It's no longer a vision of the kingdom age, as it were. We're now going to be shown the means of these 
plagues coming upon the earth. After that, I looked and behold, the temple of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So the temple of the tabernacle. Now the word temple we've come across elsewhere in our studies in Revelation. It's the, the Greek word that we get our word nave. And it's particularly referring not just to the broadness of the temple, but to the holy place, the holy of holies. I looked and behold that the, temp the holy of holies of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven was opened. So who's made the way for us to go into the holy of holies? Jesus. Jesus. What's been taken away? The veil. Yeah. So we could do with a reference or two, couldn't we, for that. So the, the temple has been opened. The Holy of Holies has been opened. So a couple of good references for us. So Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Seeing then we have a great high priest who's passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let's hold fast our profession. We have not a high priest which can't be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. So the Lord Jesus passed through. Um, uh, he, he's gone through the Holy of Holies. The, the veil has been taken away. So the Lord Jesus was the first to be passed through. So I would just make a note there, perhaps of Hebrews 4, 14, of the Lord Jesus. He has opened the Holy of Holies. But because it's been opened, Hebrews 4 tells us that we can come. And so the picture we now see is of the saints there. After that, I looked, behold, the tabernacle, temple of the tabernacle of the testimony. So the tabernacle of the testimony, have you got a marginal note for that? We come across that phrase in the Old Testament. Number 17 is a reference that we want to have. Now, number 17 is a chapter that many of you remember, the, the chapter about... Aaron's rod that budded. But what do we notice in verse 7? Look at this phrase. Moses laid up the rods before the Lord in the tabernacle of witness, or the revised version says the tabernacle of testimony. So here we are. We're looking at Revelation 15 and verse 5. This phrase, the tabernacle of the testimony, that's used or taken from Numbers 17, verse 7, where we read about the tabernacle of testimony, the tabernacle of witness. So the Holy of Holies has been opened, we see in Revelation 15, verse 5. I looked and behold, the tabernacle of testimony, the temple of the tabernacle, the, the Holy of Holies opened, of the tabernacle of the testimony in heaven. So, what we got, that tabernacle of testimony, was the witness. It was the tabernacle of witness. What to? Well, it was the witness, wasn't it, to the God of Israel. And inside that, the holy place, 
that's been opened, what was in the holy place? The Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? As the witness, Aaron's rod. What else was in it? What did Aaron's rod speak of? Uh, resurrection. Resurrection, great stuff. It also spoke, perhaps two things, resurrection I'd say is the best. Another one, of course, would be the fact that divinely chosen, yeah? So uh, those who've been called and chosen. So Aaron's rod, what else was in the? The Ten Commandments, they speak of God's law, the word, his testimony. Uh, what else is in the, um, the, the pot of manna? What does the, that pot of manna speak of? Bread from heaven. But this bread, it never corrupts, corrupted. So it's what type of bread? It's eternal, right? So you've got it there, the, the symbol of the witness of the resurrection, You've got the witness of God's word. You've got the witness of eternal life. It's covered by the ark. On top of the, or it's in the ark rather. On top of the ark, it's covered by the mercy seat. What's the mercy seat a symbol of? Who is the mercy seat? The Lord Jesus Christ. And over the top of the mercy seat then are the, cherubim and in the book of revelation we've seen that the cherubim are the picture of the saints so we've got this the tabernacle of testimony the tabernacle of witness has shown from those who've been called out of egypt the witness the promise of the resurrection of eternal life of the power of the word that this is going to happen through the covering of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the saints will share in that. I mean, it's just remarkable that that is the witness of God's divine plan for those who have been called out of Egypt. So what's it showing then? Revelation 15, verse 5, it's the picture of the redeemed, of the the temple or the, the holy place of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven being opened. The Lord Jesus Christ has gone through and now the redeemed are able to share in that wonderful blessing. So verse six, the seven angels came out of the temple. So now the, the seven angels are the ministers of God's, will that the, the the saints are part of that the seven angels come out of the temple having the seven plagues clothed in pure and white linen so the pure and white linen we've seen i mean that the, the obvious reference to go back to is revelation chapter one wait do you remember in verse 15 uh, verse 13 rather we saw didn't we of the multitudinous christ that he was in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one light, the son of man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, girt about the paps with a golden girdle. So now what do we notice? Back in chapter six, having their breasts girded with golden girdles. What was the golden girdle about in chapter one? Do you remember? Tried faith. Yeah. So do you see that the, the, the language just keeps being used? That, that when we 
had a look at chapter 1, verses 13, 14, 15, that talked to us about the multitudinous Christ, we now use that language here to understand that this is talking to us about this same group, the redeemed, the multitudinous Christ. Verse 7, one of the four beasts, we don't like the word beast there, do we really? Don't, because it's not the beasts as in the beasts of Rome, what we used instead of beasts, the four living creatures, yeah? So one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden vials. Vials, or an easier translation, bowls. Just think of a bowl being poured out. Gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So we ask the question, first of all, then, what are these, these plagues, the seven plagues, that are become poured out? That word plague, we immediately, don't we, think of the plagues of Egypt. Um, and it's not wrong to think of that at all. You know, it's helpful. But actually, the word plague is elsewhere translated, not as plague, but as a stripe or a wound. Um, so it's we've actually come across it several times in the book of Revelation. Just go, let me just show you chapter 13 and verse 3. I saw one of his heads as it were wounded. That's actually the same Greek word plague. Um, or verse 12 of chapter 13. He exercised all the power of the first beast before him and caused the earth, then them which dwell therein, to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Or verse 14. He deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of the miracles which he's power to do in the sight of the beast, saying to them that dwell on the earth, they should make an image of the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. So that this idea of the plague, you know, we mustn't necessarily think of it as like an epidemic or a pandemic, you know, like we feel like we're witnessing at the moment. It's simply about God's judgments through his chastising judgments um wounding uh, bringing stripes as it were upon the system of rome so that's what we're seeing here it's not like some medieval plague as it were that's um coming out so let's just look again verse seven one of the four living creatures so again the picture of the saints we've seen in chapter six gives the seven angels seven golden bowls full of the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no man could enter into the temple till the seven plagues, the seven angels were fulfilled. So what's taking place? As these bowls are being poured out with the plagues, the wrath of God, which we're going to see what they are in chapter 16. We'll see that it's about the destruction of the Holy Roman Empire. And it's going to bring us all the way beyond our own time to Armageddon. That we're told now that the temple is filled with the smoke from the glory of God and his power. And no man was able to enter. No one could go into the temple. Even though the Holy of Holies has been made open. No one could follow the Lord Jesus Christ. Could join the redeemed. Till the seven plagues, the seven angels were fulfilled. So what's it about? Because the call is constantly, come out of her, my people. Come out of Babylon. Come and join. You can come. 
Hebrews 4 tells us. And the point is this. In verse 4, who have we been talking about? Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? Thou only art holy. All nations shall come and worship before thee. In verse 2, the sea of glass is about the nations. In the kingdom, all nations will come and worship before him. But now, from this time forward, no nations would be able to come, no countries, no political systems could come as a body, as one man, to come into that temple till the seven plagues, the seven days were fulfilled. So no country, no matter what their policy is, until after the Lord Jesus Christ has returned, after the battle of Armageddon, will be able to enter into that temple. Only individual people who are prepared to heed the call to come out of Sodom, to come out of Egypt, to come out of Babylon. You can't look back. Only those with faith are able to enter into the temple now. No nations will be able to enter into the temple until the Lord has come. So the divine glory, the, the smoke which filled the temple, we see that picture is being picked up from the Old Testament. Have you got any notes in the margin? The temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God. Exodus 40, 34. Let's have a quick look at Exodus 40, verse 34. We should put that in the margin. Then the cloud covered the tent of the congregation. The glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And so this is the picture now, that picture that we've seen from uh, those who come out of Egypt. That the temple is now filled with the glory of God and from his power. Uh, another reference that you might want to have, um, which we won't go to for now, 1 Kings 8 and verse 10. We remember the temple is filled at the time, or the, the, the temple is filled with God's glory at the time of Solomon. So all those things are types of what is now being fulfilled at the end of this chapter. And the challenge for us is to come out. If we haven't already, it's to come out of what Babylon is, what Egypt is, what Sodom is. No nations any longer are able to put their allegiance before the Lord Jesus Christ. They won't. It's not until the Lord comes that Psalm 2... We see now in Psalm 2, the nations, why do the heathen or the nations rage? The people imagine a vain thing. The kings of the earth set themselves, the rulers take counsel together. That's what they do now. They're not interested in coming into the temple of the Lord. But in, at the end of Psalm 2, we're told, be wise now, therefore, ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear, rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun lest ye be angry and ye perish from the way. And so the nations will then 
recognize on a national scale the Lord Jesus Christ. They won't all do it immediately, but over time. And Psalm 72 tells us that kings will come before the Lord Jesus Christ, will honor him and recognize him. And whole nations will accept the teaching of the Lord Jesus. But Revelation 15 is telling us that until the Lord comes, no nations will, will be able to enter into that temple because the temple was filled with the smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And so it's left to me and you. It's left to us. And we can't therefore get involved on a political level to try to tell the king, to tell the queen what they should do. Our job is to witness each day, is to try to, to preach, to tell others about the hope that's within us. That, that question, in the middle of that vision, who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? Today, the challenge is laid down to us. Will we try to fear the Lord, to glorify his name, that when the Lord does come, he's pleased that we might be able to share in the blessings of eternity? Okay, so let me just remind you that god willing we're not going to be around for a few weeks um next week um we have the german bible school after that there's uh, a young people's bible school in the uk um uh which um uh, i'm speaking at for, for an evening um then the following week i'm speaking at an evening on at brecon bible school um on two of those, it's on a Monday, but I just think we'll be in a pickle if we try and do something and then, you know, we have to stop it again and do it again and stop it again. Um, and then um, we're, we're away in a caravan, uh, God willing. So we'll struggle with an internet connection. So basically, sadly for us, we're, we're not around for a few weeks. So the next Monday night class is going to be on Monday the 31st, of August. So I'm going to put this on here, Monday night class to resume, God willing, on 31st of August 2020. If you want details, uh, the link sent through, which is just on the screen there, email pgo.hotmail.com and I'll send you a reminder, okay? Um, otherwise, don't worry, you just follow the link like you normally do. But hopefully that sets us up um, for a holiday in which you've got a bit of homework to do. So I want you to have a go at this homework. So the easy challenge is, and if you do this, it will set you up for understanding chapter 16. Because chapter 16 is the demise of the Holy Roman Empire. And guess which major event, which great earthquake in the history of the world brought about the Holy Roman Empire, the, the end of the Roman Empire, it was the French Revolution. So you have a look at that, type in Holy Roman Empire, or just, if you type to Google, the finish of the, French, the, of the Holy Roman Empire, I guarantee you, it will immediately be telling you about the French Revolution. Okay, uh, let me give you another bit of homework. Which verses relate directly to our own time in history in chapter 16? And what's the Lord's advice for this time? 
and which ecclesias does it relate back to? So I've given you a clue on the screen to say, go back to chapter three, where you'll see that the language in the verses in Revelation 16 that relate to our time take you straight back to two of the ecclesias in chapter three. Okay, and then the final one is, where do we see the frog-like spirits at work today? And we'll look at that closely in our class on the 31st of August, which is really exciting. It's so current where, where we see the frog-like spirits working in the world today. Thank <laughs> you.